Father Dave, welcome back to Locust and Wild Honey. Oh, Rich Costa. You're trying to do Mike. You're trying to do Mad Dog, aren't you? Oh, I can do Mad Dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that. I could, I, could, I could do that opening very well. I just don't know. I don't know if you can handle it. You want to give it a shot? Uh, good afternoon, everybody. How are you today? You know, honestly, that's really good. I grew up listening to him every day. Absolutely. That, that's really good. You made all the numbers and, and dials that I'm watching here go really high and turn red. He's one of my, he's one of my heroes. No, he's, <laughs> Do you know when I worked at Chase Stadium, he, was, he, had, he and Mike had just started, Mike Francesca, who were a, uh, Mike and the Mad Dog were a local, um, an iconic radio team here in New York. Changed radio, sports radio Really, forever. Yeah, they kind of did. And and when they were starting, Mad Dog came one day to our offices and was vending for the day. He was like selling stuff. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that would probably be hysterical to watch. It really, selling stuff. it really was. And we were explaining to him what to do. And I think he did it for a few innings. And I cannot remember what the purpose would have been for maybe PR for him or something. <laughs> I honestly, because I because I grew up and the Yankees were so good, and I never liked the Yankees. I was a Met fan. I was yeah. a Tiger fan. Like both of those teams stunk, and the Yankees were winning. And Mike Francesa would, he was a Yankee fan, so he was basking in all that glory. And poor Mad Dog with the Giants, with the San Francisco with the Giants, San Francisco yep. Giants. They they never won. They 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 couldn't get over the top. And then the the the, the two of them break up, and they go on a mini dynasty run. It's it's you know, been three, stunning. Three and six years, three and five years, or something like that. Yeah, and uh, I feel I feel bad for Dog, but he's he's I'm sure he's watched it and probably gone out there and brought his kids. His son was on FAN. What really? FWFAN is a, is this sports radio sh- station in New York, and his son did a show with the son of I think I'm not sure who it was. It was like over Christmas, I think. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It was re- it was really interesting to listen to, and I, it made me feel old. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I I loved listening to them, and they they always had uh, anything from their Christmas shows to their uh, breakdown of like March Madness tournaments, the baseball season. Mm-hmm. They were the best. Yeah, uh, their thirty for thirty on ESPN it was really good. Is really good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I and then what happened was I entered the seminary in two thousand and six, and I think they. Fell apart. It was around then, yeah. 2006, late 2006, Cause and effect, you think, or no? (laughs) Oh, I think it's definitely related. (laughs) But then, like, you know what it is? At that time, because I was so concentrated on on studies and formation and all that was going on, it's like, is this what God wants me to do? I, you know, wasn't listening to the radio all the time. And then, like, one day, I just turned on the radio at 1 o'clock, and they weren't on. Really? What happened? (laughs) You didn't get the memo. I didn't get the memo. No. Most people say that I live under a rock. And that is a... Oh, I don't know who would say that. (laughs) That would be so not nice. But spring training's here. Baseball um, is is on the field. Yeah. And it's it's giving me a little hope for the spring. You know, that and Easter. Come on. Oh, and by the way, we have to go back to last week. What happened? I know you said, right, the miracle was yeah. the greatest unequivocally the um, truth as much as i don't like him and i know i've said this to you before that as much as i don't go crazy for him tom brady's comeback against the falcons in the super bowl about five years ago down by 25 mm-hmm. points was i think by far 
one of the be- better definitely than the miracle, but definitely in the top five best sporting moments of all time. Well, it could be in the top five. It could be in the top one for all I'm concerned, but it's not the best one of all time. <laughs> I watched Miracle again the other night. We're not going to spend another whole podcast talking about U.S. Olympic hockey like we did the last time, but I'm just... Nobody cares about hockey, Rich. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Everybody cares about hockey. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> But pitchers and catchers have started, and in the school where we work, there's a young man who's in the Philly system, and he was on... Um, so cool. Yep, he's a, he's a catcher and is in spring training, and he was playing yesterday, so there was a little clip of um, yeah, little clip mean, of him. It's very exciting for us. Got to meet him. Mm-hmm. Very nice guy. Uh, heard a lot of good things about him, and then I got to meet him. Very nice guy. But to hear... He's not a Hall of Famer, but one of the smartest catchers... Uh, in the oh, space. Joe Girardi. Yeah, yeah, Joe Girardi talking about him and talking mm-hmm. about how, like, the gifts and the talents he's got and how he's, like, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 So, Did, Logan, we're rooting for you, bud. So, a couple a couple of the students came in and we were talking about that clip, uh, just about the clip that it was on yesterday. And they said that they're hoping, these, these, these two students were hoping that he gets traded to the Yankees. No. Uh, because apparently he's a big Yankee fan. He is a big Yankee fan. That'd be good for him. It wouldn't be good for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that wouldn't be good for us. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if he's like, you know, the greatest catcher of all time. But apparently there was, uh, they did a, they found a clip of him at Yankee Stadium. I saw that. And he's he's somewhere in the bleachers. Yep. And they, they were throwing the ball back. There was a home run or something like that. He threw the, just, just releasing it like ever so, not, like, like just easy, he threw it all the way to second base. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and and for all his, um, we're talking about Logan O'Happy, his talent in in baseball. He really is one of the nicest kids to have ever passed through here. Yeah. His senior year, he was walking by my office one day, and we we do these midnight runs. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, um, it's midnight run is an organization uh, run out of New York City. Um, and people will go into the city on, on um, street corners that are um, uh, told to us where to go, and they'll, we'll meet homeless people, give them food, give them um, clothing, um, and encounter, right? Encounter is the, the main thing. And um, we were short somebody. So it's like Friday afternoon, and Logan's walking by. I said, Logan, you want to go to Midnight Run? He goes, I've always wanted to. Yeah, let me just check with my coach. So and he just you know packed up and went with us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we wish wish him the the best of luck. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in week three of Lent. Week three of Lent. Sunday readings. Each one just you you can really spend a whole bunch of time in depth with each one. The first one from the Book of Exodus is the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Is the account of the Ten Commandments. And then the second reading comes from Saint Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which is you know. Uh, we've all heard it before. You've all heard it. So when we will read that one, mm-hmm. it's short sure. and to the point, and uh, I think there's a lot there. And then it's the gospel from John talking about uh, our Lord uh, cleansing the temple, where he throws out everything um, all over the place. Yeah, and there, there really is a lot. There's, there's a lot here. One of the parts of, of Exodus that, that I love really is more of a, a semi-historical thing, but it, it speaks to how God calls all of us. But it's, it's generally accepted Moses had some type of speech impediment, either yes. a, a stutter or something. Right. So, so 
the you know Yahweh goes to him and says, and, and we know the story. I want you to free my people and go to Pharaoh and 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 say that you know I want you to let my people go. I want you to speak publicly. Yeah. <laughs> to the Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. And Moses says to him that I'm not you know I'm not eloquent of speech. Yeah. And God says, Yeah, I know. I made you. <laughs> like I know that, but it, like how is that consequential here? <laughs> And it really is an amazing story because I, I think of the things that maybe God is calling us to do that we kind of put up um, like a, a warning sign, like, oh, God, I don't think I'd be really good for that. Did I ever tell you this? And please stop. Please. We'll, we'll... well, I don't know what you're going to say, so I can't tell you if you told so it to on me. The day... <laughs> so on the day I'm ordained, mm-hmm. it's the most, probably one of the most emotional moments is the Litany of the Saints, the, mm-hmm. when we sing the Litany of the Saints. At that moment, each man being ordained, it prostrates, lays down on the floor, face down, like face to the marble. Mm-hmm. And just, you're just asking God, right? Like you're just giving total submission to the will of the Lord. And uh, I was paying attentive, uh, I was really listening for St. Joseph of Cupertino because I had him inserted in the, the litany. Uh, we were allowed to insert a couple of them mm-hmm. and he had helped me out tremendously. We'll talk about him another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my overall prayer after i had heard his after his name called my my prayer in the most probably emotional solemn moment of the entire liturgy mm-hmm. was god like seriously like this can't be a joke like you can't this can't be a big joke like your your ordination you mean yeah yeah, yeah like like that's a I'm, heck of a time to ask that question. I'm gonna I'm gonna screw this up if you're like really playing games with me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And what if you thought it was a joke? Would you have like gotten up and left? Oh no, if I did if if I really knew it was a joke, I would have never been there that day. That's what I'm thinking. My gosh. <laughs> it was just one of those I'm just gonna be very real with you prayers, you know what I mean? I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Um I don't know if you remember this. So last year, or actually in 2019, Father Dave and, and Jess Madalena, the other campus members, and I took some kids to uh, Indianapolis for uh, a youth convention. And on one of the nights they had, um, it was really beautiful. I mean, we could talk about that sometime as well. But it was in the, uh, wherever the Indianapolis Colts play, they changed the names of these. Lucas, sta- Oil, Lucas Oil Stadium. Stadium. Right, right. There's so a beautiful statue of Peyton Manning out there. They did, yep, yep. And there was um, people reading um, from, from the stage their favorite biblical quote. Mm. And there was a young man, he was a high school student from somewhere, I couldn't tell you where, reading that quote. Um, about Moses saying to God, but I, I don't have eloquence of speech, and he had a stutter. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was emotional. Yeah. Was there were like, a few moments I had where I had... He said ca- that in front of 20,000 people that night. Talk about courage. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think that that's not necessarily pertinent. Well, it's pertinent to the Ten Commandments, which we're looking at in this reading, but I, but I think that little, little historical factoid is um, always makes me feel better. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you know, uh, I, I I mean it would be we we could spend an entire podcast just going over yeah just a couple of the commandments yeah, but I I think one of the things that I would like to focus on as far as like just overall theme of the commandments is to is to I like to understand them as at this moment in in the relationship that God has with His people at this point, uh, it's that 
he's drawing them ever more deeply into an even more deeper relationship with him. And he gives them the Ten Commandments, uh, not as you say so well all the time to the kids, not as a bunch of no's or don'ts or do nots or, you know, uh, you, you can't have fun right. kind of thing, but rather like a guideline and, and a map to freedom. That's where I think the wisdom of the Jewish people, I'm, I'm always blown away by it, but even, you know, this part of the Torah, the law, it is not the law as we would know, like American law or any country's judicial mm. law. It's really more meant to be a guide, and it's really a guide to our happiness. Yeah. Which brings up an interesting point, too, is the resistance we all have to it. All of them, and, and especially the Jewish people. Yeah, them <laughs> and them and us. They're not particularly hard. To, no, to do, I mean, but like, we do resist them. Well, I mean, when you when we do a deep dive into it, like right. I was one time, I right. went on retreat a couple of years ago, and I said, you know what, for the retreat, I'm going to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church's understanding of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Like I want to know the the commandments for myself, but also too to help, like to interpret it for myself. Because once I internalize it, you know, like when you say you know something, you can you you can then communicate it to people, and yep. they can understand it. And so I wanted to do it for myself. Uh, learn the Ten Commandments on a deeper level. But then also, too, I wanted to use it as a guideline in the confessional to help people understand them. But let me tell you, I've never thrown anybody in the East River. I've never killed anybody. But when I got to the point in the catechism where it says, but, you know, you kill somebody with your words. Yep, killing their spirit, killing their reputation. And I thought about how many times I've done that to you just in 2020. Oh, my gosh. Like, I broke broke number five. A lot. (laughs) A lot. I mean, I really don't feel bad for it, so, you know. (laughs) Don't feel the need to go to confession for it. (laughs) Would I be able to go to confession for you just to tell them the sins you've made against me? That would be really interesting, actually. (laughs) It's probably not permitted. (laughs) But I like to to always view the commandments as just this guide. I like to use this, the the example of a married couple, uh, of how when they stand before each other in, in, in front of God in the church, in front of their family and friends, uh, they say, you know, uh, you know, to have and to hold in rich and poor, in sickness and health, to death do they part. Like there, there were certain rules in there that they have committed to uh, certain laws, they, so to speak, uh, or, you know, especially as the church teaches to, um, to be open to life and, and not to cheat on each other and, mm-hmm. and to, you know... Uh, not be jealous of what your neighbor has. Right, not yeah. to be jealous of your neighbor. If the commandments are just a bunch of do-nots and, and we don't break them, well, that's good, but that's, it's not really exactly what the fa- our Heavenly Father is looking it's for. It's a pretty uh, setting the bar kind of low. Yeah, he, I mean, he's looking for us to, to listen and, and use them as guides so that our relationship with Jesus, his son, is ever deeper. And then, like, the spirit of love takes hold. Yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth, because that's really what it's about, to the call to be in relationship with, with Jesus. Just like the call to be in my re- a relationship with my wife, I can follow those rules, but it doesn't mean our relationship is good. Right. Because the call is ever to be, to be delving deeper into that relationship. And that's why I, your analogy with married life, I think, is perfect. Yeah, I mean, anybody yeah. can just check a list off yeah. and say, hey, I've accomplished this goal. But right. if, there's the, if, if the heart is not involved and the spirit of love is not involved in it, then what are we doing? Yeah. You know, and, and the Lord is calling us to something, but we needed a guide. 
mm-hmm. you know, and that's how I kind of like to look at, you know, the, yeah. the commandments. It's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. reflection. You know, um, but I, I want to st- I want to uh, take the, a moment here for the second reading, to to read the letter of Saint Paul to the Corinthians here. Brothers and sisters, Jews demand signs, and Greeks looks for look Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Yeah, it's a beautiful reading and so clear for Paul. The, the two takeaways for me, number one, is the, the Jewish people who struggled with and, and struggle to this day with the idea of, of God taking human form yeah. in, in, in Jesus— but also their expectation of the Messiah, someone who is going to be like a King David figure that was going to free them from the Romans. Um, and it lacked, and this is going to sound critical, and I don't mean it like that at all, but it, it kind of lacked outside-of-the-box thinking, very similar to, I think, if Jesus came back today, I would, and we all would probably share in that outside-the-box thinking, oh, Jesus can't be like that guy. You know, we have a different expectation of him, so I don't mean that at all uh, as, as a put-down. So that was, that was one thing where they just didn't recognize him because they couldn't imagine that he was coming to save them, not from the Romans, but from sin, you mm-hmm. know, and they were there to save all people. <clears throat> and what was the term that Paul uses for the Gentiles in, in the first line there? Foolishness. Foolishness, right, because it's not empirical, it's not rational, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, why would, why would a God that you claim to be so powerful and great yep. be so humble, weak, yeah. and, and, and die on a cross? And I can't prove him. Right. I had this funny conversation with a student in my office last week. This is one of the most devout students I've ever come across. Um, she she goes to Mass with us. She she goes to adoration on, on um, nights here at St. John's or um, in, in her parish. Like She has a really beautiful relationship with Christ, and she, she's talking about something unrelated to religion. And she says, you know, I'm a very rational thinker. And I actually just started laughing at her face. <laughs> I said... You believe in a guy that died on the cross and rose three days later to save you from sin, and that's rational. <laughs> Actually, there's a there's a uh, there's the book, then there's the movie, uh, the Cause for Christ, and and I forget off the top of my head uh, who uh, um, what what his name is, but it's his journey, his life journey of how he was born and raised a non-denominational Catholic, uh, Christian, and doesn't believe at all when he grows up and his wife is a believer Mm -hmm. and this struggle that he has to disprove her and goes to great lengths uh worked for the chicago uh, tribune okay in the 70s and uh and he just and he struggles with it and then at the end of all of his discovery he just realizes that he has to come to this moment of faith uh, that all these people have died. There's no account of a body, mm-hmm. uh, and the risen Christ is for him after all of the studies that he had found uh, to be, you know, accurate. That that question is always interesting to me because we wouldn't enter a re- into a relationship with another person, or at least we shouldn't, where we're asked to prove our love. I mean, maybe some people do. I think that's silly. 
you, you can't, pr- I mean, prove it in the empirical sense of this is totally love. You know, I could show love, right? I could show it and I can express mm. it. I can't prove love. Like quantitative value, you mean? That's exactly what I mean, mm-hmm. yep. But yet when, when, when some, so, sometimes the God question becomes that, that proving thing. Mm-hmm. I've never quite understood it. We're okay with, you know, the, the people in our lives that we're giving our heart to. We're okay with not quantifying that. Mm. You know, but when it comes to God, no, sorry, God can't say it's not rational, not possible. It's like, why is it okay to not quantify love, but it's okay to quantify God? I've just never understood that rationale. Mm. Yeah, but I, I think this is a a powerful, powerful passage uh, where where Paul really is re- referring to just like how we are to refer to Christ. We like we as Christians proclaim Jesus Christ crucified. And in the crucifixion, we find his power and the wisdom of God. Like, his love is at the cross. Like, if we're, if we're discerning how to love in our life, if we're discerning how much God loves us, we look at the cross. Um, if we want to see the power of God, we look at the cross. Um, because all of the answers contained for all of humanity... Are on Calvary, and it's antithetical and it's countercultural. <clears throat> yeah, and that, that's the struggle I think in the 21st century to make right. that present. Um, and and well, why would I believe that? That's just ridiculous. Right. Well, you, you live it, and you and you start to realize it's not ridiculous. But I yeah, I'd I'd love to introduce you to it. Yeah, it, you know, and that's why Paul says it's foolishness. Yeah, he, that's what he says. It's fool the, the, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Isn't that interesting, too? Because I just made a reference that's what we're fighting in the 21st century. That was 20 centuries ago that Paul wrote that. So it's oh, still the same question and yeah. the same struggles. Oh, the same. Yeah, but all the struggles yeah. of human nature and human history, they all reappear. They yeah. just come under a different name. They do. You're right. They really do. And then for this upcoming week, we have the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, John chapter 2, 13 to 25. And it is... Jesus's trip, the first trip in John's gospel to Jerusalem for the Passover, in which he encounters uh, the money changers and <clears throat> all of the people uh, selling animals mm-hmm. uh, for sacrifice, and he overturns the tables and the money changers, and it says that he will uh, destroy this temple and in three days raise it up on uh, uh, raise it up again. So I'll tell you a story. My, my first year teaching, this was 20-something years ago, 20-some-odd years ago, and I decided to give a project to sophomores, 15-year-olds, mm-hmm. um, uh, about reenacting something. I let them film it. So this is all like on VHS tapes. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. I was a new teacher. I didn't know better. And this was one of the ones that they could have chosen. So I'll never forget it. Stephen Costelli put on his karate uniform. And, and this reading from the second chapter of John was pretty much him just beating up everybody. <laughs> and that's all it was. You gave them permission to just have a free-for-all. Well, I did, I did, but I didn't think I was doing that. I thought I was giving them a pretty good assignment. I was kind of proud of it when I sent it out. Oh, this will be good. They'll be able to reenact it. Oh, no, you can't tell 15-year-old boys to do anything like that. They, just, they were just beating each other up. They Please tell me you gave them all hundreds. I don't remember, but I, I was just perplexed and saddened. <laughs> what a terrible teacher I was. <laughs> well, I love, how we, I love how every now and again when we 
when you and I and uh, Ms. Madalena get together for a meeting just to kind of catch up and see how things are going, um, and inevitably we'll say something to a student that we thought was could would just be understood yep. by an adult as like this is matter of fact, mm -hmm. and then we sit there and the other two will look at us go. Yeah, no, this kid is definitely going to take this completely in a different road. Yeah, or they have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah, like flipping and uh, like flipping tables and exactly. dressing yep. up in a karate suit. Yep. <laughs> I, I should have known, but I know now. It, it's interesting that, that that John puts this in the beginning of his gospel, kind of sets his his theology up a little bit um, to really make it clear who Jesus is, um, and and how he wanted to to understand Jesus. Historically, too, this would have been permitted. What, what Jesus was rebelling against and, and anxious against was something, to a certain extent, that was permitted. Like, if you were to make a pilgrimage into Jerusalem, you would buy an animal to have sacrificed at, at the temple. Mm -hmm. but, but it's interesting when you, when you dive in a little bit deeper to what his, um, his rationale for and, and why his reaction was what it was. And one of them we were talking a little bit beforehand is that people would come with different forms of money. So if you've ever traveled outside the United States, you know there are some places where you can get a good rate on your on your change, changing money, and some places where they will take you. Well, part of this was, and it even mentions it particularly in John, they're talking about the money changers in, in one part, and people who were getting a, uh, a poor deal on the money, who are essentially being ripped off. So, so that was part of it, too. But I think there's a, there's a, a deeper theological meaning that we were discussing a little bit before. Yeah, and I, and I think this is very central to not only John's Gospel, but to this passage. Uh, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospel, in the Synoptic Gospels, we see Jesus doing this at the end right. of, of their Gospel story. And it eventually leads to his arrest. Right, it eventually leads to yeah, that causing a disturbance. Kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah that's... Well, we can go as we get into to Easter. We should talk about a little bit more about that. Well, but... yeah, so so that is at the end of their gospel, leading to the crucifixion. <clears throat> this happens in John's gospel in, in the very sec in the very beginning of his uh, in very in the very beginning of his mission. Right, and there's a reason for this. John wants to establish that there is the three the three trips that they did make to Jerusalem. And he wants to establish that when Jesus says, and stop making my father's house a marketplace, John is establishing that there is a deep relationship here between Jesus and God the Father, and that the father's house and Jesus, they're, that they're the father-son relationship is vital to the entire story that he is going to tell about our Lord in that version. Um, and, and, and how we're kind of swept up to, into that, in that Trinitarian love. And I think we have a better understanding of it now, because we've had 2,000 years of this, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And people at the time could not have had any idea what he was talking about. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and it even says here that in the, in the Scripture, it says that his disciples did not know this until after the resurrection, right. when they realized what he had said at the temple. And to be honest with you, you kind of can't blame them. No! Yeah, I, no. I I would have been clueless. Even like with last week's last week's gospel, after they come down the mountain, mm -hmm. they're discerning. What does rising from the dead, dead mean? mean? Yeah, yep. we take it for granted because yep. we are. It's it's part of our culture. Mm -hmm. Like it's part of our studies. Jesus rose from the dead, and we yep. have this understanding that if we follow him, we'll rise from the dead. 
and they had no clue. No, and John makes great pains to point out that the what they were hearing was the literal understanding of he would tear down the temple and rebuild in three days, this thing yes. that took 46 years, And but he was talking about the temple of, of his body. Yes. And how hard is that to understand? I love the last line, though, where he talks yeah. about the understanding of humanity, and that really caught me th- th- this time reading it. Yeah, let me just read the sure. very end, because we all know the story of how he flipped all the tables and all of that stuff. But the very the, the last few lines here of the Gospel are very interesting. It says, while he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. Yeah. I found that fascinating. I've never seen that line before. I've never made yeah. note of it before. So when, when John taught, when John uses the word signs, he's he's referring to what the synoptic gospels we refer to as miracles. And his admonition there or warning or Jesus's warning is that the people who are looking for the signs are are looking for them for the wrong reasons. And but Jesus knew that because he knew these people well. But he also knew what it meant to be human. Well, and that that last part's the really the part that got me because yeah. you know that he knew what it meant to be human. We believe he was fully human as well as fully divine. But to say it so clearly, I'm, I'm still kind of chewing on that a little bit. Yeah, and, and you know, like as you were as you were saying that you know a, a lot of the people that John is referring to is that you know that that Jesus would not uh, would not trust himself to them. Uh, because they only looked at the the shallow. He was just. He looked at. They looked at him as a wonder worker. They looked at him as just this uh, unbelievable a sideshow. A sideshow. Yeah. A, a miracle worker. Right. But they were not focused on what was going deeper in the miracles. And anytime we see Jesus working, mir- hear Jesus working miracles, it is to convey a deeper reality that's going on in the hearts of people. Uh, and so he knew that these particular group of people here were just interested in being bedazzled. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think that's, that line at the end is so unbelievable. Like, and he did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. Yeah. Like, he's, he's not here to joke around. Like, yep. He's here to, ha- like... I think there were times where he did joke around with the apostles and sure. with people and have a, a good time. But when it came to those miracles, he wasn't just he wasn't just like, uh, you know, they they weren't just hanging out at a at a at a fire pit one night and then you know Peter's like, hey, you know, Jesus, we we got nothing to drink. Can right, you, right. you know can can you turn this water into beer? Right, like, right, right. He's not doing that stuff. Um, and that's why, like, you know, there's 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 meaning to all of those miracles. And for people to not want to take that serious, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus would not do that for them. It's an interesting thing, at least to me, and it doesn't relate to John's gospel. These are more from Mark's gospel. We look at this messianic secret where um, every time Jesus performs a miracle, he's like, just don't go tell people about it. Just like keep this between us. Mm. You know, go tell the priest to follow Jewish law, but don't, don't mm-hmm. go tell people. And there's various reasons for that we won't have to get into tonight. But I think the part that that strikes me is that they're just not going to totally understand it. They're right. going to think it's one thing because of his human nature. 
right. uh, that he knows they're going to misunderstand it, or a majority of them will misunderstand it, and why he chose those around him so carefully, because he knew eventually they would understand it, what the real reason was. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think if, if we could just kind of relate this to our own human experience, like especially in prayer, when we're looking for these grand miracles from God, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we don't get them, and it's like, well, he must be ignoring me. He he must not care. He he must got he must be having he must have too much going on. Yeah. That's not the reality at all. Is that we must understand then uh, in light of these words that God has something else in store for us that maybe the miracle would be too distracting for us. Yeah. And and maybe he's going to work subtle miracles that might be, you know, simple and unnoticed by anyone else but very profound for us. And I think it's important for us to kind of focus and be ready for those moments because otherwise they'll pass us by and we won't really truly see. We'll, we'll then take it for ourselves and say, I made this happen and not realize and give glory to God for how he has been working in our life. Yeah, it's really well said and, and probably a good point to leave off, I think. I think so. Yeah, there's enough there to chew on for me for sure. So on that note... Gang, I hope you have a beautiful weekend, and I hope this helps highlight a couple of nuggets of truth in the Gospels, in the readings. Take care and God bless. If you would like to contact Father Dave or me, please follow us on Facebook at Locusts and Wild Honey. We appreciate your comments on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please tell us what you think and share with your friends.